Welcome to New Books and Political Science. My name is Heath Brown, and today I have the pleasure uh, of talking with uh, Natalie Maswoko and Jane Jun, who are the co-authors of The Politics of Belonging, Race, Public Opinion, and Immigration. Natalie and Jane, how are you both doing today? I'm doing great, thanks. Doing um, great, Heath. Thanks for having us. We are all three in, in different locations, and so uh, I know a little bit about each of you, but um, maybe each of you can just um, introduce yourself just a little bit, you know, where you've been, where you are now, and you know, where this fits into your career. Uh, Natalie, would you like to just start, just to give us a little little sense of who you are? Sure. Um, I am currently an assistant professor of political science uh, at Tufts University uh, out in Medford, uh, Massachusetts. I'm a California native. I got my PhD from the University of California at Irvine. Uh, and so have done a nice, uh, time on the West Coast and on the East Coast, giving us a nice, giving me a nice, uh, perspective on, uh, immigration in this country. Fantastic. And Jane, you, you have uh, a similar bicoastal background. Um, how about yourself? Where, where have you been and where are you now? I do. Uh, I, my name is Jane John. I'm a professor of political science at the University of Southern California. So I am a Georgia native. I was born in Macon, Georgia, then moved to the American Midwest where I did all of my education and then went on to Rutgers University for about 16 years for my first job. I've been at SC now on the West Coast for about four years. Fantastic. Yeah, this is just such an interesting um, and and uh, meaty book. Is this the first time that you two collaborated on something? Is this your first uh, uh, work together or have you been working together for, for a while? Well, I think, uh, you know, it's one of those... Uh, uh, questions that's probably uh, hard to answer. I mean, this is a book project that I would say, and I you know, think uh, Jane would probably agree that we've been working on, I would say, since uh, we first met uh, around uh, about 2005. Uh, there, of course, were other offshoots uh, that turned into uh, various different you know, presentations and articles. Uh, and finally, uh, we decided a few years back that it was really time to uh, write uh, more of a book manuscript uh, that was uh, more reflective of all the ideas that we had uh, in our long discussions um, over all of these years. And, and what, what you guys have produced is, is really interesting. Um, you focus on the book, at least at the start, on the relative placement of immigrant groups and their unique uh, history and experiences of racialization by group. Um, and particularly how that relates to public opinion. I wonder if we could first start with the unique histories and then move on to the relative placement piece. And so there is this, this kind of sto- common story, the myth of transit through Ellis Island, for instance, that suggests immigrants come to the United States in essentially the same ways. You suggest something very different. How unique are the histories of each group you study and, and why does that matter? Well, I think, you know, I mean, maybe take one more step back and I think just kind of explain kind of where we came into this. I mean, one, we're both uh, public opinion scholars, uh, and so we were looking at public opinion uh, and saw how public opinion uh, research uh, in American politics really tried to really conflate uh, or homogenize uh, the American public. So, you know, whenever we try to explain what Americans think, uh, there is this general sense that you know, all Americans can be described with one general model or one general narrative, uh, which 
uh, you know, we looked at, at uh, you know, our own histories, uh, all of the communities that were surrounding us and where we lived, uh, and really saw that this is really not an accurate way to uh, think about the American public, that in fact, uh, we have a very unique uh, immigrant stories, uh, political stories, right, uh, and various different histories uh, in the United States. Uh, and so we took uh, the first uh, look uh, at thinking about public opinion and thinking about public opinion on immigration uh, by first thinking about uh, how these different groups have experienced uh, politics and society uh, in the United States. Uh, and of course, you know, uh, the first narrative uh, is from uh, white America uh, and thinking about that kind of, you know, traditional story of Americans uh, as uh, the United States as a nation of immigrants, you know, as you mentioned, coming through Ellis Island uh, and having uh, a very specific uh, immigrant narrative. Uh, but at the same time, we have uh, other uh, just as striking stories, uh, you know, of course, thinking about African-Americans uh, and their long history uh, in the United States, uh, first arriving primarily as uh, a slave population uh, and having that distinctive experience as a, a group that has been subjected to really a second-class uh, type of citizenship. Uh, and then also thinking about uh, the two other groups who, while have been in the United States for a very long time, uh, we now recognize as the predominant uh, immigrant groups today, uh, Asian Americans and Latinos, uh, each of which have had very distinctive, uh, not only entrances into entries into the United States, uh, but also uh, really unique histories uh, in their contact uh, with the federal government. And, and let's let's then sort of connect this to one of the, the the other pieces of it, which is which is how this all relates to the formation of identity. Um, you both are also um, uh, political behavior uh, scholars. Um, so what do we what do we know, and and how does it relate to uh, what you write about the how identity is formed? How do Americans form their political identity? particularly as it relates to national attachments. How, what is that process like? Well, one of the key arguments uh, that I think we are making uh, in the book uh, is thinking about this idea of, of belonging uh, and national identity. Uh, and one of the important, uh, we argue, uh, concepts to consider is that each of the different uh, four major racial groups in the United States have really experienced uh, a different type of belonging. Uh, in the United States, where uh, we argue that uh, it is experienced really uh, uh, along a racial hierarchy uh, with whites who experience um, this full, really full uh, and equal citizenship, uh, whereas racial minorities uh, experience uh, lower levels or, or uh, kind of uh, intermediate uh, forms of, of uh, citizenship. Uh, and so this, of course, then uh, influences how each of these groups feel that they belong in the United States. Uh, and so if you uh, really have, have not been treated uh, as a full American uh, and as an as a, as a, as a assumed American, uh, then your relationship with the nation uh, is, is very different uh, from a person who is always recognized. Uh, and automatically assumed uh, to be a member of the United States. 
background matters a lot in the so the path that different groups take to uh, their new homes in the United States matters a lot. But non-immigrants are also very active in shaping the opinions and beliefs of immigrants. And so you write about a term like illegal alien, which is this um, constructed term that means is, is intended to mean certain things and not mean other things. I wonder if you'd reconstruct for us where this term illegal alien comes from exactly and, and how it's been used to, to frame immigration debates and also then you know, how that relates to the, the public opinion of, of, of immigrants themselves. Uh, well, we uh, adopt um, uh, a lot of our uh, our discussion about uh, illegality uh, from uh, May Nye's uh, really wonderful book, Impossible Subjects, uh, which she published in 2006, uh, which traces uh, the formation of uh, illegality, as we understand it today, uh, back to the exclusion of immigrants. Uh, dating as far back as uh, 1924 uh, with the passage of the National Origins Quota Act, uh, which essentially stated that uh, the United States uh, really was not placed a quota uh, and placed a preference system based on where you originated uh, across the globe. Uh, the United States placed a, the highest priority on those uh, immigrants coming in from Western Europe. Uh, and, of course, then... Uh, implicitly uh, excluded the rest uh, of, of, of the, those uh, com immigrants coming in from Southern Eastern Europe uh, and China. Uh, and so uh, once we decide, right, to uh, exclude uh, certain types of people from coming to the United States, uh, this, of course, doesn't change the fact that immigrants still want to come to the United States. Uh, and so we, uh, through these decisions, uh, in immigration policy, and this is really what makes this is what really makes immigration policy a really interesting question for us, uh, is that uh, we look at how uh, Americans, uh, through their policy, really can say to the are saying to the world and saying to themselves, you know, who who do we want to be? Uh, and as soon as we create exclusionary uh, immigration policy, uh, we are uh, saying uh, to the world and to ourselves that certain people. Uh, or deserving to come to the United States and other people are not. Uh, and so this is really kind of the start historically um, of where we get the introduction of the idea of an illegal immigrant, right? Because uh, when certain people cannot come in, but then when they do enter, uh, we have this social construction um, of, of, a, of, a, of an, a, a person who has uh, skirted the law, Right, uh, come uh, illegally into this country. Uh, they're an unwanted subject, um, and this has has carried out uh, through most of our history. Today, we still have in practice uh, a quota system in which we limit uh, the certain number of immigrants that can come in, uh, and so we continue to create uh, this notion uh, that there are certain people that we want included uh, and certain people that we want excluded. Um, and this uh, perpetuates the idea uh, that those people who are coming in illegally uh, are less than human or criminal. Uh, you know, the common phrase is, you know, they're lawbreakers, right? Uh, and so uh, this is, we argue, is, is a really important narrative for understanding how groups 
uh, uh, one way in which groups are, are racialized in the United States and they're created as, as an other or essentially a non-American. I don't know, Jane, did you, did you want to add? Yeah, I'll add one more point, and that is, I mean, that's uh, exactly what we argue in the book. I think one of the most interesting aspects to the question of the, quote, illegality and the, quote, illegal immigrant is the contemporary racialization where the racial face of the, quote, illegal immigrant is a Latino. And I think it's important for people to recognize that the concept of illegal alien and the notion and the connection to primarily Mexican Latin American populations is a, is a very much a 20th century construction within the context of the fact that there was no immigration policy on North American restriction in the United States until 1965. So until 1965, even with the 1924 National Origins Act, there are no quota restrictions on North America. So Canadians could come, Mexicans could come with certain requirements, but nevertheless, none that overwhelmed the, the typical or that were consistent with quota migration from Europe and uh, other parts of that continent. So the idea, the, the irony in many ways of the creation or the racialization of the quote illegal immigrant today as Latino is, of course, all the more ironic given the fact that until 1965, there was no quota limit on North America. And it speaks right. to, I think, very much the significance of racializing immigrants and, the, and why, when we think about immigration policy, studying race and systematically how and why race becomes so important to the demonization of certain types of new Americans is a significant way and an important way to think about public opinion. Yeah. You, you as, as good social scientists, you guys do some uh, experimental work, and, and in Chapter 6, you present the findings from an experiment that you uh, conducted related to these issues of, of priming and framing. I wonder if you could briefly describe the experiment and, and what you found. Sure. What we did uh, was we were thinking about uh, really uh, what are some of the possibly uh, implicit uh, factors that are uh, influencing American attitudes towards immigration. And of course, you know, the, uh, the, 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 there are many different um, factors, it's partisanship, uh, right, and your economics. Uh, but because we're arguing that uh, immigration uh, is in many ways a uh, highly racialized um, facet in American politics, that we had a suspicion that the race of an immigrant uh, is uh, highly influential uh, in, in the, the, the picture in someone's head, right, of who an immigrant is, uh, has a real influence on to what extent uh, an American is willing to uh, say that they are uh, supportive or more, they want more inclusive policies, uh, and, uh, uh, or alternatively, they want more exclusive policies. But of course, we also thought about the fact that, uh, one of the things we also have to think about is the race of the actual respondent, right? So, who the person is that we're asking about immigrants, uh, immigration. And, and commonly, what we found is that, uh, most often, uh, when Americans are thinking about public opinion about immigration, we're assuming that the native born respondent is a white person. Uh, and the immigrant uh, in question uh, is, is, is a non-white person. Uh, and so we really wanted to integrate this idea of thinking about uh, the, the, the racial background of the person you're, you're asking, the American uh, respondent that you're asking, uh, and how that interacts with uh, when they are uh, prime 
with thinking about uh, different races of infants. And so what we did is that we showed respondents um, uh, different pictures uh, of different uh, types of immigrants. Uh, and so we divided our uh, respondents into three uh, separate uh, experiment groups. Uh, one group was given uh, a picture of an Asian immigrant family. Uh, another uh, a group was given a picture of a Latino immigrant family. Uh, and then the last group was given no picture at all and really just told that we were talking about immigrants uh, and we're asking for their opinion uh, about immigration. Uh, and so then after uh, first uh, presenting uh, respondents, uh, what we were trying to, you know, kind of prime the idea that they were being presented with a specific type of immigrant, we then asked them their their attitudes about immigration and, and various different positions on immigration policy. Uh, and what's the striking thing, number one uh, thing that we found is that uh, depending on the race uh, of the respondent, so depending on what your racial background is, you responded to the, these different immigrants and the control group, the, the group that, you know, you were just really asked to imagine uh, what type of immigrant uh, uh, that came quickly to your head when we were talking about immigration. Um, but depending on your own race, uh, you reacted uh, to these uh, uh, crimes very differently. Uh, white Americans uh, were more likely uh, to have more positive uh, reactions to immigration when they were presented with the Asian immigrant family. Uh, and we also found that white Americans uh, were, it, it appeared that when they were asked to really just imagine uh, immigrants, so those folks that were not given a picture uh, and were just asked, asked to just kind of assume uh, what the immigrant was, uh, that those respondents reacted uh, very similar to the white respondents who were primed with a picture of Latino immigrants. Uh, now, what was really important is that uh, for the uh, black, Asian, Latino respondents, they act, reacted very differently. Um, for, uh, for example, for uh, black respondents, uh, they were not necessarily automatically uh, reacting negatively uh, when we primed them with uh, an Asian or Latino respondent. And actually what we uh, found in many cases is that uh, immigration was humanizing uh, and possibly priming for blacks kind of this, you know, shared uh, racialized status. And so African-Americans were not necessarily having uh, the negative impact uh, right on immigration. Uh, and for Asian Latino respondents, uh, in general, uh, they have uh, very um, open attitudes and, and inclusive attitudes towards immigration. And so for them, oftentimes what we found is that having them think about the race of immigrants doesn't actually necessarily matter uh, because they tend to have relatively open uh, attitudes. Uh, uh, already, uh, even without any type of priming about the race of the immigrants. So, what do we do with these findings? Um, wh what do we what do we make of them? Uh, do they tell us something about um, the future of of immigration policy? Uh, what what do we how do we draw conclusions from this empirical research that you've done? Does this does this point in a positive direction for the future or a negative direction? What's the, what are some of the takeaways that, that you guys gather from your findings of the book? Well, I think, you know, it's, uh, you know, to say that it would, you know, point in only a positive direction or only a, a negative direction, uh, I think would be really limiting. Of course, you know, this shows uh, really how political elites uh, can mobilize and activate 
uh, very specific uh, types of responses uh, by using race uh, as part of their narrative uh, about immigration. And so, you know, I think what, what we, uh, or at least what, you know, what uh, I would like to take away from, from some of this uh, is that uh, it does show us uh, that contrary to the attitude today that, you know, we are very much post-racial, uh, that um, rather than kind of, you know, making using it for some kind of political gain or political loss, that what uh, we're hoping is that this is kind of really reflecting to America uh, that even with their narrative about post-racial society, that in fact race still in fact does influence uh, how people respond uh, to uh, American policies. Uh, and particularly um, immigration policy, uh, and that this uh, feature of American life, you know, uh, racial classification, is something that we still need to address. Uh, it's still a very important problem in this country, and it's still something that very much does uh, influence how Americans understand their world. And so this is, I think, uh, uh, one of the, the takeaways. I know, Jane, Jane, did you want to add? I think so. You know, I think that's exactly right. And the point that I'd like to add is really for researchers, other political scientists, or really for anybody who's trying to systematically study what do Americans think. And when we do that today in a population as diverse as we have, not just in California, but across the country, fully one-third of Americans consider themselves to be something other than white. And within the white population, there's a tremendous diversity that goes just beyond Republican and Democrat, North and South. So the, many, one of the principles to take from our book is that anybody who's trying to study systematically what do Americans think, you've got to study everybody. And you have to be sure that when you're studying everybody and you're analyzing, you think about making comparisons across groups, not just looking at one group at a time, which is often where we default to go our own group or the one that we find most interesting. But really what makes the dynamism of American politics tick is how those groups interact with one another. Yeah, the, the the book is is really really interesting. I have a you know personal interest in the subject matter, but but I know much uh, for those that that don't focus on this, they'll they'll learn a lot from this. Um, the book titled uh, "The Politics of uh, Belonging, Race, Public Opinion, and Immigration" is published this year by the University of Chicago Press. Available widely, I can strongly recommend it. Natalie and Jane, thank you both very much for your time today. Well, thank you, Keith. It was really enjoyable to talk to you about this book.